Welcome to Unprecedented with me, your host, Claire Hall. This podcast is designed to inspire you, to make you feel a sense of connection and belonging as we all navigate these unprecedented times together. I hope you enjoy the show. excited to introduce you to Louisa Walls. Louisa is a marketing consultant, a wife, a mother, and a knowledgeable lover of wine. Louisa and I have been friends for over three decades, and I was thrilled when she agreed to be interviewed. Louisa's family adventure began when her husband, Matt, was offered a book contract to write about the wines of the Rhone. This meant packing up their London house and completely relocating to Provence in the south of France with their young boys of five and two. Louisa openly shares the highs and lows of what it's like to relocate to the south of France with only, as she describes, schoolgirl French, and how her experience of isolation and discovering what really keeps her sane, as well as the importance of connection, how it strangely prepared her for the challenges of life in lockdown, both in the UK and in France. Louisa's story has inspired me to reassess my own experience of joy for food and wine, as well as sharing it with the people I love. So sit back, maybe pour a glass, and enjoy the show. Hey, Louisa, welcome to the show. Hello. Are you are you hiding up in the bedroom? Where are you? Yeah, so I'm right at the top of the house. It's it's the quietest room in the house, but it's also the absolutely coldest room in the house. So I'm really pleased that this is not um, being videoed because I am here <laughs> in like I've just come out of the shower. My hair my hair's wet, but I'm wearing a bubble hat. I've got no makeup on, which actually these days would only ever be eyebrow p- pencil at best. So. <laughs> <laughs> no major change really um and yeah I'm wearing about three thermal layers and some tracksuit bottoms which is kind of standard lockdown attire <laughs> so, so you're really going all out for Valentine's Day yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how cold is it because I'm in Australia and you're in England so what are you yeah no need to rub it in <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know at the moment. I mean, this is really freak weather at the moment we're having in the, in the southeast of England. I mean, here in Folkestone, which is right on the coast, we you know hardly ever get, get snow. And, um, yeah, I can see snow on the rooftops. It's been about minus three or minus four most days this week. And it's not, you know, it's not melted. I think today's yeah. going to be the last day. I think it's going to start to melt today. And then next week we'll be back to, you know, rain, grey skies, eight degrees kind of thing. <laughs> Well, it does. I mean, you have sent me some pictures and it does look magical, which for me, hearing to hear you guys getting a little bit of respite. I know the whole country didn't get snow, but to think that the kids got to go out and play in the snow. I mean, how wonderful after everything you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been just, yeah, as you say, just lovely to have something different to to do because, you know, all of the weekends, all of the days just kind of blend into one. So, yeah. It's been great. Yeah, there's actually not much else different that could have happened unless you had a heat wave, which wasn't <laughs> going to happen. Yeah. Oh <laughs> so it's only the weather that can change. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, luckily it's so, pretty changeable here. Anyway, go on. Yeah, go on. Well, this time last year. So let me give a little bit of a background, as I, I previously have said, that you had this amazing dream with Matt to go and live in France. Mm-hmm. And then this book opportunity came up with Matt. And so you guys did the bravest thing, one of the bravest things I've ever heard, and packed up your family, moved from London to Provence. So this time last year, what were you doing? Gosh, so this time last year, where are we? End of Coming towards the end of February. So, yeah, I mean, you know, life was um, relatively, well, it was completely normal at this time last year. And we just spent... Um, Christmas actually back home here in in the UK um but then we went back to France because what we what we had planned to do was um spend our our final five or six months in France um just having the best time we were going to really kind of make the most of our last few months there we d- decided we'd made the decision that ultimately we were going to be coming back we'd we'd originally gone out there for a year and then we very quickly realized that a year feels like you know next to nothing it's you know in a new country because it takes you that long to feel even remotely settled and even then you don't really feel all that settled 
yet. Um, so we thought, right, well, we'll just make it two years. So, and yeah, so this time last year, we were approaching these final few months of our, our French adventure. Um, and we were, you know, full of hope because, you know, we knew it was going to be coming to an end. We we were just beginning really to, to make some really nice contacts there and some friends. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about being in a different country when you don't speak the language is that is how hard it is to to establish relationships and to and to and to spark up friendships. It really is incredibly difficult, particularly if you move to an area where, you know, there aren't normally lots of people kind of moving in and out. You know, rural France is is a different kettle of fish from say Paris. Not that I've ever lived there, but you know, it's it's not a bit it's not like living in a big city where there's just so many new people all the time and people are quite used to people coming and living for a you know a couple of years. And I think in that scenario people kind of spark up relationships quite quite quickly. Anyway, so I digress. So but we had managed to, you know, start to 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 actually make some some nice friends there. We'd sort of found our our people as it were, you know, the people that we've really felt a connection with and who we um shared the same interests and just had the same sort of you know you know same sort of ideas about what was important in life and all that you know we we're just beginning to establish ourselves and then you know <laughs> then coronavirus happened and suddenly mm. everyone had to just totally shut down for well it was three months and then and then when it opened back up again we had sort of I don't know a month six weeks left of our time in France and you know as we were talking about you know before this call started we <sighs> when when we did emerge from lockdown everyone was so sort of i guess just you know com coming out of that scenario and seeing all the people that they wanted to see and obviously for most people that's seeing family and that kind of thing which they hadn't been able to do and you know the fact that we were the the english family who were just about to leave and we wanted to kind of you know do lots of socializing and partying and what have you and mm. and it was just a really it, so it was a really odd odd sort of time Despite that, we did manage to do, you know, some really nice things. And we, I think in the last week of being there, we probably did more socialising than we'd done in the previous two years. Um, and we had loads of people over and we had some really, really lovely times. So, it, you know, it, we did get a little bit of that back, um, thank goodness. But, yeah, it was a very weird experience. Yeah. And, you know, of course, quite disappointing because we had hoped to have this fantastic final few months and so on. Um, but I can't imagine what it would be like because I, I distinctly remember sitting on my lounge floor watching the news. I dropped the kids off at school and I was watching the Prime Minister of Australia announcing how the borders were about to close. The international flights were closing. My father, for the first time in 16 years, was about to fly out and visit us. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I remember. All had to get... yeah. And I remember listening and hanging on to every word in the news. But for you, you were in a different country, different culture, different figureheads like what was different leaders what was going on in your mind to be able to a translate it and then like find your feet with what on earth is about to happen um yeah it's a good question um I think so one thing I think was was a real kind of positive is that sort of viewing the the French experience in comparison to what appeared to be going on in the UK I must say, I think we felt quite lucky. Not only was the, the weather great, even in March, and in fact, I think it was in the UK, so it wasn't all that different, really. But it was, you know, we knew that it was going to be spring, summer, and, you know, there, there are lots of good things. So, you know, if, you, if you're going to be locked down anywhere, Provence felt like a pretty good place to be. <clears throat> but mm. also the French government seemed to be being a lot more transparent about what its objectives were with regards to the lockdown and... And it seems to be being very honest with its people. And um, I mean, you know, the French kind of, the conversations that we had with people after the lockdown and, and so on, you know, they were kind of <laughs> being quite, you know, they were, they were mocking themselves for, for being what they would describe as typically French and, you know, moaning about everything. But, you know, when I, when I asked <laughs> them about it, I said, you know, but really, you know, it feels as if he, Macron had, was doing a, a pretty good job um i mean certainly from um, from my perspective seeing what an absolute you know almighty mess boris johnson seemed to be making um you know almost at every turn i think everyone had this feeling that 
literally anyone could have done a better job than he was doing because he just didn't seem to know what he was doing. Um, and, and, and he certainly wasn't communicating the rationale behind um, the, the restrictions, I don't think, you know, that sort of long-term rationale. Mm. Um, and things kept changing. And, and there was, no, you know, I always felt that in France, we had a very clear view of, of where we were heading towards and, and a clear view of, you know, if, if everything goes positively and we're moving in the right direction, then on this date, we will review things and things will change in, you know, for the better. So, for example, you know, I think when the lockdown happened on the <clears throat> uh, at right at the beginning, they they then said, okay, on the on the fifteenth of April, we'll make new changes, or you know, we'll, we'll review the situation again and we'll make another announcement. And then, you know, the fifteenth of April came and they said, right, okay, things are looking a bit more positive, and if things continue in that vein, then on the eleventh of May, we will start to ease restrictions. So all the time, we had this kind of sense that we were being kept in the loop. And I, my sense from what I was hearing from, you know, friends in the UK was that, you know, they just felt like they didn't know how long it was going to last, where, you know, when, when, when anything was going to change and if it did change, what that was going to look like. I think, you know, the fact that the schools were out for so, so long and, yeah, I mean, I, I, mm. I, felt, I felt at the time that our experience in France was in, in many ways a lot more positive than the experience that people going through in the UK. The, I mean, the French lockdown was much more strict, if you like, than the English one. So we had to fill out a form every time we wanted to leave the house. Um, That's right. Yeah. And you're cycling. Yeah. You only had, what, a five kilometre well, radius? Not even that. Yeah, we weren't supposed to be, we weren't supposed to be, well, we weren't supposed to be cycling at all. There was a period of time during which we were, we were only allowed to um, be on foot um, and only within a kilometre of our house and I must say you know I did I did kind of I did kind of break that hang on a sec hello hello <laughs> and that's real life in lockdown <laughs> yeah. yeah pretty much uh all my work calls are, are a bit like that and yeah quite often they're video calls so I think, do you know, that's been really, really nice is, you know, from a work perspective, sorry, I'm going completely off, off track now, but um, that's good. I'm just thinking about the fact that I think one of the positives about this situation is that people have necessarily kind of witnessed um, other people's lives a little bit more. I don't mean, you know, the personal details, but but I think it's been good that, you know, we're so used to compartmentalizing work life, I think. And and in many ways, that's really great. I remember going back to work after my second maternity leave and just being just so delighted to be talking about stuff other than kids and, you know, being able to have a cup of coffee and feel totally in control. And, you know, there are so many positives, so I'm not denigrating it really. But at the same time, I think it's been really a positive thing to to witness that you know every everyone at work has you know a life outside of work that they are juggling um and particularly you know when you see sort of the you know the the really senior people at work um that you know that they've got they've got families too and i think in certain work cultures and i would include the company that um that i've been you know involved in for a long time now we tend to not really talk about our families that much um for one reason or another you, you just wouldn't necessarily at work but but now I think there's just a little mm. bit more of a um an acceptance around you know sharing the, you know the the challenges of juggling family life that that that, that happen regardless Absolutely. of whether you're in lockdown or not you know and I just think it's that's been an that's been a nice thing I don't think twice about sort of sharing a little bit more in that regard I certainly used to feel quite um you know, I, used to, I, I didn't really talk about family and I, I felt very conscious, self-conscious about talking about family life when I was at work. But I, I don't I don't talk about it all the time. But, you know, I, I don't feel as self-conscious now. Yeah, you're recognising 
other people as humans we're all humans together and this has brought us all down a bit into a wonderful space I mean I've really enjoyed the news we're looking at people in their bedrooms doing their news reports (laughs) such great pictures haven't they where people look really smart from like the the chest up and actually they're just you know pants (laughs) or whatever what 2018 the dream came true you're packing the car you're heading to Provence I mean that must feel like such a long time ago but if you can remember can you tell me what it was like to come to that decision um yeah I mean we so yeah you you alluded to it to earlier it had been a sort of almost a lifelong dream I mean I'd I'd spent time in France while I was at university, kind of during the university holidays, I worked on a vineyard in southwest France and just kind of loved the whole experience. Um, and it's been very kind of that that whole experience has kind of shaped, uh, you know, quite a lot of how I feel generally about life. You know, this when you do something very physical, like harvesting grapes and um not only is it physical, but it's also very connected to enjoyment. So you're picking the grapes and you're creating this incredible thing with the grapes and then you enjoy it in the place where the grapes come from and you know so there's this these whole kind of notions of of provenance provenance and um you know that that very kind of real and kind of raw connection between the land and and life our life as humans Mm. um i mean it's it's you know of course it's it's on one hand it's agriculture and it's very um uh uh, you know, there's there's nothing romantic in that sense. You know, it is it's agriculture. But on the other hand, you know, nobody's going to deny that, you know, good wine can transport you and and kind of give you some of the most special moments that you have of your life. So, I think, yeah, that was and and I and that really stayed with me. So that experience made me think, gosh, one day, it would be it would be great to be able to kind of build on this experience and come back to France. And I think you know there are lots of things about French culture that I really really respected as I still do you know just that the importance they place on a, sh- a you know the shared experience of eating and drinking you know the, the whole kind of we laugh about the two-hour lunch break but you know they really place importance mm. getting out of the office or getting out of the you know um yeah getting if, if you're working then getting out of the office and actually sitting down and having lunch so you often see people you know having really three course lunches um during during the day during the working day and I just think that's that's a really positive way of living you know is placing importance on taking a break but not just taking a break but also you know really kind of enjoying your food and enjoying it slowly rather than dashing off to prep and grabbing a sandwich and eating at your desk which you know I've absolutely totally guilty of when I was in the office a lot um so, absolutely so it was really a, you know from my point of view I'd always sort of started there really and Matt had always he'd he'd done French at university and we had been working um you know before we met he'd worked for a long time in the wine trade he's always been in the wine trade um and then without going into all of the detail of all the steps that kind of led to it essentially um after he'd been writing for probably sort of six seven maybe eight years i can't remember exactly no it's probably only about five or six years at that point but he was asked by um a publisher to to write a book about the wines of the Rhone. That was the area that he, the geographical area that he was very specialised in and loved. Um, and he'd already built up a kind of, um, a real, you know, reputation um, and and real expertise in that area. So he was the kind of logical person to go to, 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 to write the book, um, and which he was very keen to do because, uh, well, I mean, just the whole experience of writing the book and cementing his interest and expertise in that area. But, you know, if, he also felt, well, you know, if I don't do it, somebody else will. And that would, you know, <laughs> that wouldn't be positive from his point of view. So he was very keen to to write the book. Um, and I and, you know, and we'd, we'd sort of chatted, you know, how you do some things that, you know, every, every weekend when you have a nice meal together or whatever, you think, oh, you know, when it'd be great to just move to France, wouldn't it? You know, with the kids, they're still young and we could do it. Da, da, da. And then suddenly the book contract came along and it was the perfect opportunity to to actually make that happen. And it was almost like it would be mad not to take the opportunity to um, to make it a family adventure, really. So, so yeah, we decided to go for it. It was, a, it was an easy decision, oh, well, really. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know... <laughs> 
we always use the phrase no brainer. It's, you know, there, it, yeah, it's a, but it, but it really was a, a no brainer. We you, couldn't have not done it. It would have been ludicrous to pass up the opportunity. There it was kind of almost on a plate, really. It was just a quick question of getting all the kind of bits of jigsaw puzzle into place to, <clears throat> um, uh, to, to, to make it happen. And that's the thing. I think when you know, it, it, making the decision to do it is almost the hard bit. And for us, that was kind of made easy for all the reasons I've just said. And then and then the big thing really is are the kind of the decisions that are kind of pivotal. So one of them was me having a discussion with my my work and and my boss about you know the fact that we wanted to do it and 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 the fact that it would essentially mean leaving my job but hopefully in some way remaining connected with the company which is exactly what happened. <clears throat> I feel very grateful to to the company my boss for allowing me to do that. Um so, but one, you know, and once there is a, there are only really a sort of two or three kind of key kind of decisions and things that you need to put into place, and then actually it just uh, the wheels are in motion and everything just happens. It's like moving house. You kind of think, oh my god, how are we ever going to do it? And in fact, moving out of our house was one of the things we needed to do. So it was it, it incorporated all of that. But um, you know, it's once once you've made the decision and you've made a few key kind of decisions and had a few key conversations, it kind of everything just kind of happens really. You are the you are the mother, you're the wife, you're the professional who put her luckily and how fantastic that everything was supported professionally to allow you to take this yeah. break while still being yeah. connected. But to actually set up your family in a whole new country is a massive thing. And I always think, you know, you're the mother, it, the children sometimes normally gravitate more to the mother, especially as Matt would be away a lot of the time doing his mm. research and everything. Did you ever get lonely or what was it like for you to really settle yeah. in? Uh, yeah. And, it, you know, I'd so love to be able to say to you, gosh, you know, it was just the most phenomenally brilliant experience and it was so positive And we, you know, it was like a dream. And I'd love to be able to say, uh, you know, wholeheartedly positive things about the experience. And, and there were lots of positives, of course. But I must say that I had not anticipated how how isolated I would feel and how that isolation would make me feel, if you see what I mean. So it's kind of partly the isolation mm. itself, but then kind mm. of the impact of that. Um, because, yeah, it was it was really, really hard from a social point of view. Um, as I mentioned, maybe before we started recording, but, you know, it's... Um, moving to a, to a country where you where you don't fluently speak the language i mean i had to you know i had okay french i mean when i say okay french i mean i can i'd be confident in a restaurant and i could i could have a i, I can get by but really it's just, it was just schoolgirl french and in truth you know yes it improved over the two years but not to anywhere near the extent that a i was hoping for it to improve or b you know in the to the, the, the extent that it needed to improve in order to be able to kind of confident and easily spark up conversations and, and, and friendships. It's really difficult and people have busy lives. You know, I think back to when I was living in London and maybe, you know, the parents of parents at the school where, um, where my eldest son was at, uh, you know, in his reception year and perhaps parents who, who, for whom English was not their first language and they perhaps weren't, weren't totally fluent but you know with my life in London at that time very settled had my group of friends had a busy life commuting into the into town each day I just didn't I didn't even didn't even occur to me to kind of reach out and and kind of make friends with with people who for whom it might have been tricky you know now I'm much more conscious of people for whom it might be difficult so there's for example um you know family that I'm connected with who aren't from the UK and I and it and I remember how I felt when I moved to France and I remember how nice it was when people did occasionally reach out and and kind of um try to connect in some way and I really really appreciated it so I'm and I'm now much more kind of aware of that and um you know I want to kind of um, help people to just find their feet a little bit you know it's not like I'm you know I'm, I'm kind of planning on becoming a, 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 you know the their best friend but it's just about 
making people feel welcome and and knowing that they can make contact if they need to or they could kind of reach out and ask a question about the logistics of yeah. being here in the UK etc etc all of that kind of thing but yeah so going back to your original question it was incredibly difficult and I I really did feel um pretty isolated at, at various points and also I think and I won't go into this in too much detail it's a totally separate podcast but you know we have we've got two boys and some fairly kind of I would say major uh, sort of parenting challenges and kind of some fairly kind of high <laughs> high level sibling rivalry that we have to deal with that actually now we are we are getting some support on and that's you know that that's great but being in a situation you know in, in being in France and managing all of that and not having people that you can just go for a glass of wine with after you know after a long difficult day just that kind of you need your you need your family you need your support network around you when you have challenges like that on your hands because it's your kind of closest friends and family that that give you the reassurance that everything's going to be okay really you know it's not the kind of thing you can share with people you don't know very well so and even if I'd you know I mean I couldn't I couldn't speak well enough to be in French to be able to do that in any case but it was I did find it incredibly tough and you know at, at various points really too, kind of too tough to, to manage um so yeah it was really it was pretty isolating but um you know it wasn't all bad <laughs> but yeah I, I I hadn't I hadn't anticipated no not it. at all and we don't you know I think Matt and I had sat down a number of times and you know had these conversations it was a year in the planning before we actually went and we did kind of say to ourselves and each other gosh this is going to be odd it's going to be just us and we're going to be each other's social life for a year well, it was a year when we were planning it and ended up being two and and but we hadn't really kind of thought about the you know the, the reality of that um so we knew it was going to be hard we knew it wasn't going to be a walk in the park but I don't think either of us had really anticipated quite how challenging it would be and the way in which it would be challenging um and it, it kind of shone a light on, on um, you know, this kind of the, the, the idea of kind of introversion and extroversion and and the fact that some, you know, some people are very, much more comfortable with, uh, you know, with not having many people around and, and some people need other people more. I think I'd always before we before we went, I'd, I was fairly confident that I was, uh, you know, 100 percent introvert and that, you know, and therefore I was, you know, I wasn't going to suffer too badly with not having thousands of people around all the time but actually I do need people probably just my closest friends really but I do need people and and in fact I do you know, I do get a bit of energy from being around people as well as needing my own space and time. So what did what did you do Lee, to to pick yourself up when those those moments came over you? Um well, a number of things. I remember, you know, if there, yeah, a number of things. So I remember at one point, um, I hadn't seen, um, I had, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd been away for a, quite a while. We'd been in France for a while, and I was just feeling a real need to, you know, spend some nice quality time with with close friends. And and I remember Matt saying to me, like, just book yourself a weekend and go back to UK, meet up with Kate and Cass, and you know and and just regroup and immerse yourself back in the you know the the nourishing arms of that you know that that close friendship and those probably weren't his words actually I'm kind of <laughs> projecting he sounds very evolved <laughs> but um yeah he just said you know just do it book it don't even think about it and I don't know I mean I guess probably like probably like many people I was like oh yeah but you know I don't want to I don't want to leave the kids and oh I, I don't know yeah I, I think a lot of people struggle with this thing mm. I just need to, you know I need some space I need some space but then like oh I don't want to leave I don't want to leave it's kind of you've got these two this tension anyway I did it I, yeah mother I did guilt. do it and it was just a weekend and we went to a spa hotel and gosh thinking back now to it oh going to a spa hotel with a couple of friends oh my god it's just oh the stuff of dreams but we did you know I did do that and it was just lovely and how wonderful to have you know two good such good friends that they you know they they wanted to do that too and they they took the time um 
and my goodness me, I think one of the things that, you know, I've, I've really appreciated in all of this is, oh, the, you know, the, the sanity that having, having good friendships brings you in the difficult times. Um, I mean, I really felt that when I was in France. And of course, you know, we, we all continue to feel it in, in lockdown. And I think, yeah, just going back to the original point or one of the points you were talking about earlier, there is this sort of parallel between lockdown and the, the French experience that we had, because in many ways, you know, we one of the things that we'd wanted to kind of uh, create for ourselves in France was this kind of slowing down, this shaking off of the, the things that keep us so busy in London and with London life and so on, many of which are positive. You know, I'm not I'm not again, I'm not denigrating it. It's it's just a fact. But we were both very aware. I was very aware that, you know, I was spending a lot of time commuting and rushing from one place to another. And, you know, I'd have to leave the office at a certain time to be able to pick up the boys from either school or nursery or childhood or whatever it was. Life was absolutely frenetic. And, you know, this whole idea of a treadmill is, is you know, of course, absolutely true. You, you have a job so you can. And of course, some people are like, you know, have jobs that they are really care passionately about. So that's a slightly different thing. But, you know, for a lot of people, you kind of the momentum is kept up by a need to earn money to pay for the nursery or to pay the mortgage or whatever it is. You know, we're all on this kind of treadmill. And I think we just I certainly wanted to just kind of press pause on all of that. Um, and 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 I think and and what lockdown did for many people, not through choice, and I think that makes it very hard is that it's not a choice. You know, it it has forced that sort of slowing down and people have experienced a lot of the things that that we experienced when we moved to France. So there are some interesting there are some interesting parallels, I think, between those two, those two things. Well, just hearing you say about the isolation, the loneliness, how did it prepare you for the lockdown that you're in now? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I I, I feel really. I think we all do feel like. So we're saying at the beginning, you know, we we all feel quite. Um, I think everyone here is feeling very at, at a low ebb, and because everyone, in their own way, is is suffering through this lockdown. Either you're kind of holed up with your family, who are in one, one way or another driving you a bit crazy or you know you're in the opposite situation and you know I really feel for people living in London on their own whose whose previous you know whose normal lives are very much kind of centered around the social the uh, sociability and the all of the exciting things that happen in London and if you're living on your own I just it must be so incredibly hard um so where was I I think I've lost my train of thought um that's all good um well I was saying how you know when you before lockdown even happened you were already building okay. up your resilient muscles and experiencing yeah. the isolation so think, and disconnection yeah, I mean certainly the lockdown that happened in France while we were there you know didn't it oh, the hardest thing was the kids not being at school and they were just in each other's faces all the time and that was really hard but but you know in many ways we were quite well prepared for it because we were used to just spending all of our time together as a family so that was you know that was fairly normal for us um we were very lucky to have as you mentioned this you know incredible kind of countryside around us we were living on the outskirts of a village um so um yeah you know we had countryside around us we were able to use that every day and that was an absolute lifesaver and i think a lot of people have talked about how you know just the small things of nature um have kind of kept them kept them going and provided just a little bit of inspiration and and hope during these difficult times I mean the, the one thing that I thought was you know you look at nature and it doesn't stop it doesn't stop because of coronavirus everything just continues and you see the changing of the seasons and the you know the singing of the birds every morning and all of these things happening and nature doesn't care about coronavirus or the, the animal world anyway and you know plants and so on so and I think in a way you know just seeing life in that way go on and you know it was quite kind of I don't want to, don't want to say restorative is the wrong word but you know it was it was reassuring to see that those things in life were continuing but yeah you know we were yeah that there's yeah, something exactly. bigger and um yeah I think in a way we we did go into that lockdown a bit, you know, reasonably kind of strongly in that sense. 
Um, but yeah, this this lockdown has felt quite different. Let's talk mm. about this this lockdown because, as I I said to you previously, I I feel like I am yeah. on a different planet here. Yeah. just enjoying our sydney lifestyle yeah we have to wear a few masks so and and yet my heart is is aching for what all of you are going through but there's also this disbelief like and, which has led me to to be speaking to you today so you know let's just lighten it up a little bit what are you uh, most uh, missing louisa on a day-to-day basis yeah. if, if i had a magic wand yeah what would well, I I give was, I was those questions that you uh, that you'd sent through about you know what you know what what are you going to go and do the moment it you know things any anything changes and i was thinking gosh i mean yeah the the, the 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 bit of lockdown that i struggled with most i think this lockdown um and therefore the bit that i'm most excited about changing is is just the social the social component i've it has felt really hard not being able to just go around to somebody's house and and have a chat um you know we've we've been able to go out with people you know just one other person to do some exercise so all of us have been going out for walks (laughs) with various um when I say all of us I mean you know the the general population you know that walking and chatting has become um a very normal part of lockdown life um and I bought a thermos flask um in order to be able to do that uh, with some warmth (laughs) so um Oh, what I, are you, you keeping know. in the thermos flask, though? Alcohol there has, there or might have tea? Been a little bit of my wine <laughs> there at one point. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think this. I think I've. I think the thing that's really hard is the is the social aspect. You know, I yeah, okay. The the shops not being open and not being able to go clothes shopping. I mean, I would yeah, that would be a lovely thing. But the very first things that we will be doing are seeing the people who we haven't seen for ages. I mean, you know, a lot of the people who there are a lot of friends and so on that we haven't seen since before we went to France. So we've got kind of three years to catch up on. We've, we had seen, we managed to see in this sort of small window of opportunity during the sort of summer and early autumn last year, we managed to see close friends and, and, you know, most importantly kind of family. Um, But, you know, there are a lot of people that we know, you know, close friends who, who we haven't seen as well since we got back from France. So seeing those people is going to be absolutely amazing. And also just re-seeing, reconnecting with my mom and her partner and Matt's parents and and so on. Um, we're bubbling with my dad, so luckily we get to see him quite a lot. So I just, I think the social component is the hardest thing. Um, and, you know, I, that comes as no surprise to me because I'd, I'd already found it really quite challenging having those two years in France without um, without seeing those closest to me. I mean, it wasn't like we were completely detached. I mean, people did come over and see us, so that was great. I'm not saying we just completely isolated for two years, but nonetheless, you know, our, our daily lives changed quite radically during that time. Um, but yeah, I'm really, I'm really yeah. missing the, you know, the, the meals with, you know, drinking wine, eating good food, being around the table with friends, one thing that I, I often say when I when we do have people round, you know, in the times when we have been able to, uh, I I often find myself saying, you know, I wouldn't rather be anywhere else um, when I'm sitting around a table having lovely food and wine with people because that really is just the best. You know, it's the best. It's the best thing. You know, you're sharing your time. Time is precious, and and people are choosing to spend it with you, and you're enjoying a lovely meal really that's kind of for me the the peak kind of enjoyment you can't have any more enjoyment than being with the people that you love most and have and sharing something special with them I I came across a really lovely quote the other day and it was um somebody saying that you know people ask what's your favorite place and they always answer with I don't um I have favorite people not a favorite place and my favorite place is therefore where, where my favorite people are and and that, that really really resonated with me because it makes me realize why since coming back to the UK and being you know where some of my most loved people are you know I feel a great kind of stillness therefore and a great comfort and and confidence from being close, physically close to the, the people that that matter most. Not not in all cases, like right in my hometown, but just being closer to, um, you know, 
my closest friends and family and being within within a, 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 an hour or so's drive of so many people and, and, and in just a few hours drive in the case of Matt's family. Your Instagram uh, pictures are just, all your posts, they're just amazing. Your whole experience there looked just like this wholesome um, richness yeah. of life, just the best life that you yeah, could be living many, in that moment. Yeah, many, good things about it. And I think, um, yeah, the richness and the wholesomeness, you know, to, I mean, it's, it's nice to hear you say that because it's sometimes really hard to get perspective on on the whole experience when you've, you know, when when some of the things have been quite challenging but but you're right it was it was a very raw experience if I can use that word you know we've we felt I felt certainly all of the feelings and was very conscious of what we were all experiencing together as a, as a family and how it was having an impact on on all of us collectively and individually um and there were some wonderful things you know just the, the the opportunities to be outside and to do these amazing things and for the kids to speak have to have to speak in a different language and learn a different language and use their brains in a way that you know that they'd never had to use them before I mean gosh yeah like I said there were lots of challenges but it was it was a really incredible experience from what I'm hearing you describe it's like you you always wanted a you had the dream and even since when you used to go there when you were younger and the uni years. So something was ignited within you all those years ago. But it sounds like it actually was more than just going to fulfill a dream. It was a beginning of you stepping into this sort of perspective of life that now what I'm hearing has has brought or or shed any unnecessariness, yeah. if that's even a word, um, and brought you back home, as it were, to the sense of what's really important in life, who's important, and what you can now design moving forward for the rest of your life as the key characteristics that you want to. Yeah, fulfill. yeah, yeah. No, I'm just hearing you. Does that make any hearing sense? you articulate that, <laughs> and it's, it, uh, you know, like I said, it's it's sometimes hard to see the wood for the trees, especially. Let's face it, we are still very much in the thick of this lockdown, and it is very difficult to to get a good perspective and so on you know everyone has had this sort of i don't want to say existential crisis but you know people have been give have had an opportunity to to look at life and 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 all it with with all its kind of multiple components and i think on the one hand you know we there are things that we've that we have that have been taken away from us and it's a case of you know you don't know what you've got till it's gone and you really and you know that how important those things are and then there's other stuff where you think gosh now to have had all of that stripped away I know really that you know a, a different life is possible life does not have to be this way so the classic one is kind of commuting and spending so long commuting and and I must be honest I used to quite enjoy my commute because it was my the kind of me time every day <laughs> so it was positive but let's face it, it really impacted on family <laughs> life. You know, you, it was an hour, an hour and a quarter every morning and evening. And yeah, it does. And, and it's not so much the time, but also the, the fact that it's always a bit of a rush. It's a bit stressful. You've got to catch the train. Then you've got to kind of make the deadline to get out of the office and get everything done that you need to get done before you do, before you leave the office and catch the train. You know, it's a very kind of um, low level kind of constant <laughs> panic. Really. Yeah. And and Grind. I think, you know, so on yeah. the one hand, there's the whole kind of wow. We really know now what is what keeps us sane, and what keeps us sane is being connected. And that's you know, time and time again, I found myself over the last three years in France, but also lockdown and so on. It's absolutely our connections with other people that are the sort of beating heart of our lives and keep us sane. Um, mm. So that's one thing. But then you know, things that actually mm. can just go by the board. And it doesn't matter. You know, we can. We. I really hope that one of the things that comes out of out of this is is that people have have been able to reflect on the things that they can just let go of that that perhaps were were kind of constraining them in some way. When you say that, what I mean, I you know, in my profession as a coach, as a therapist, I'm like, what deep seated <laughs> mindsets are you hoping they'll let go of? But what are, what are you referring to? I think so. For example. 
I think, uh, yeah, I mean, so it's a really good question. And I'm not necessarily talking about what you've just, just sort of described there so much, although there may be a bit of that. There may be a bit of that. But I think, for example, we do all, um, and some people more than others, you know, we fill our lives with so much activity generally. And so I'm talking about, you know, before COVID. We have such busy social lives. Oh, what are we doing this weekend? What are we doing next weekend? What are we doing the weekend? You know, sort of filling up our diaries and our calendars and doing so much, having something going on all of the time, either socially or from a work perspective. And don't get me wrong, you know, like I was saying to saying earlier, of course, when all of things, when things do change and we're able to be sociable, I'm going to be the first person making all of those social plans again. But I think the bigger picture is... <laughs> okay, it's there have been some quite nice things about this enforced slowing down, and and actually maybe we can take that forward into you know our life in you know in the future, and perhaps there's just a bit of a better balance rather than cramming our diaries full of things um, that actually yeah sure you know going out and seeing the people that matter most to us and so on um is going to be a really really great and important thing but but you know can is there's there's better balance i think that people could get um in terms of just slowing it's just that whole idea of of slowing down and just allowing yourself the space and time to do the slower things and pause and to notice things and things that you just wouldn't have a chance to do if if you didn't have that space and time to be able to to do them if i could give you one piece of advice is to write down now all the things that you're yeah. that you're saying yeah. what to let go of the slowness because we've just we've just gone back into fifth gear i swore in january and i swore after our lockdown i'm not going to go back into that crazy manic lady Rushing, with, um, what's it called? <laughs> Rushing women's syndrome. Is a and it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Apologies to whoever created it. <laughs> I can't remember, but you're very clever. And, um, and yet here we are, we've got more freedom now after a bit of a scare over Christmas and Victoria's gone into a five-day lockdown right now. But, and, and I'm just looking at our weekend going, oh my gosh, how did we get busy again? How did we, how did I let that slip away? All those precious lessons yeah. and being just with the kids. And I think, um, we, you know, we're in summer in Sydney right now and we haven't had the best summer, which is brilliant because this time last year, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but I sent a photo to our little WhatsApp group of all of my family with head torches reading in oh, bed yes. because we had yeah. no electricity because yeah. of the bushfires. So, very happy yeah. to have a very yeah. average summer, lots of rain, and it it just slowed yeah. us all down and again. It. And yet here uh, we yeah. are, and I think revving you know, up I, school term. I I think that it, we have short memories as humans, and and of course it's totally understandable when when we're allowed to make plans and we're allowed to see people again. It's going to be the first thing we do. I think you know to your point about how have we managed to like how, how are we so busy again? I think. Maybe we can just allow us, maybe what we, we, what I hope we all learn is, is the sort of, you don't have to say yes to everything or, or you can say, yeah, I'd really love to do that. But actually, you know, I think we, we all need a, a you know, a, some downtime. So could we do that another weekend kind of thing? I think maybe a sort of collective recognition of, of the need yeah. to sometimes just not have any plans at all. Um is is would be a really positive thing. The one thing that has really helped our sanity over the last, well, all of this, but plus, you know, plus France as well, is that we both do feel um, uh, that f food and drink and and spending time and energy and and money on on the everyday pleasure that that good food and drink can bring is a worthwhile but b can can really kind of keep you sane for us you know the daily discussion about what to cook and what to open with what we cook wine wise as it, it is a sort of daily lift and we do you know we do have a couple of days a week when we don't drink and they're so boring <laughs> but we know you know we have to do it we're not alcoholics we do you know we do take time off <laughs> from it 
Um, but we do, we, you know, it's really the, the thing that kind of has kept us going through all of this is just being able to really enjoy food daily. And in France, that is so easy. You know, the markets and the food and the importance they place on seasonality. They, they wouldn't even really talk about it. It's just so natural to them. They probably wouldn't even really kind of talk about, you know, following the seasons or, you know, eating locally or being a locavore or whatever. You know, it's that's just what they do. You know, it's just that's French, basically. And we loved we totally loved that. And we immersed ourselves fully in the whole kind of <laughs> um, gastronomic wealth that that exists particularly down in Provence um so yeah you know answering your question there isn't really anything because we've just that is that has been the thing that we've really kind of um you know indulged in and um and enjoyed and has given us daily enjoyment through all of this just to finish off I've um I recently heard someone say how they inside their mask they yeah. spray um what is it sunscreen lotion <laughs> just to you know make them feel like they're going to some beautiful tropical island when they're going off to the supermarket have you <laughs> have you discovered any little happiness hacks well, on yeah, your like I said, on the trips you know, the to Sainsbury's like the weekly mini break um do you know what it's I I don't know no, no, I mean that's a, I love that idea what a what a creative lovely little idea to think of um and I have in truth I haven't really got anything like that but I am finding for example that I linger a little bit longer in the kind of, the, you know, the, the skincare aisle in Sainsbury's and I might treat myself to a, a face mask. So, you know, the job that I do, I won't I won't go into it, but, you know, I work for a big um, FMCG company and we spend a lot of time at work thinking about, you know, how people's routines have changed and what it means for the way that people live their, their lives and what they're buying differently. And I, you know, I have noticed that some of my buying decisions have, have changed um, and yeah, you know, face masks just a little bit of kind of I, I spend a little bit more money on things like bubble baths just the little everyday things that just give you a little bit of a lift um and and just taking I, I don't know I, I guess taking every opportunity mm. to just pause a little bit so you know I, I realized I realized this in France actually I realized how calm I felt while I was making myself a cup of herbal tea it's such a tiny tiny little thing but I realized what a significant moment it is just in such a tiny way and so I just you know I, I kind of when I when I do it now I really think about it and in fact I bought some really nice herbal tea proper kind of leaf tea and I bought myself a really nice tea cup one of those ones with um like a double wall so it can, keeps the tea hotter for longer and so on and I've you know just yeah just the small things if if you are in that camp of you know being locked down with a family and small kids you don't get that opportunity but to, that opportunity to to just kind of take a break so you just have to grab just the tiny tiny opportunities and in fact there's um i've really enjoyed instagram actually the whole time that uh, I, I i started on it just as we were going to france and i've really enjoyed being on it and and yeah sometimes it can be really annoying but obviously but you know uh, broadly speaking i think it's a really really positive platform anyway and one of the things that i follow um is one of these sort of um kind of i think it's called calm or something like that but anyway it kind of occasionally a, a little kind of post will come up and it says right it's a picture of a square being drawn and it says right breathe in for four hold for four breathe out for four and then hold for four so it's just this kind of constant line going round in a square shape telling you to just kind of breathe and it's just when you're feeling very yeah. stressed and you know family's going off and you know kids are at each other's throats or whatever it's just just those little kind of nano pauses can actually be the difference between exploding at the kids or just going okay I'm just gonna I'm just gonna relax before I react to that <laughs> you've been saying actually a few things you've been saying have yeah. been leading to the the conversation of mindfulness yeah. just even the French taking a two-hour yes. lunch in the middle of the day to truly mindfully enjoy their food well, look, various various different sort of ideas and concepts that have come up um, a lot for a lot of people um, over these these last few months and I guess a year now, and I think mindfulness is one of them. I think self care. I, I still struggle a little bit with self care only because for me I just find it. I still don't really know what that looks like for me personally, and and how to make it happen. So that for me is 
a journey really that I, I feel I haven't even really embarked on, but that I need to in a much more kind of thoughtful, mindful way. Um, so, yeah, I think that people understand, recognising that that you can't, uh, another great phrase that, that um, is not mine, but somebody else's, is you can't pour from an empty cup. So you've got to be able to fill yourself up before you stand a fighting chance of being able to support mm. those around you. I think we all could do with reminding ourselves. And that's the way it's meant to be. We're not no, meant to be depleted it's, it's really trying impossible. to give from it's this impossible. empty cup. But I think what this whole scenario has forced people to do is really think about, about gosh, when things really hit the fan, um, how do we look after ourselves? Um, you know, it's been a real big, big test for so many people. The self-responsibility, because it's easy yes. to yes. always put other people's needs first. It's easy to be distracted. But at the end of the day, our, our health, our physical health, mental exactly. health, there's exactly. no one out there that can do it for us like we can. No, because it's but, so much easier not to. But we, you know, we don't it's, take it on, it's so much easier to justify the the spending of time on other people, um, and it's much harder. To, yeah, it's it's harder to carve out that time. Yeah, and I think this and and feel comfortable carving out the time for yourself. Um, yeah, yeah, you put the nail on the head. I don't know if it's the same in the UK, but we have this busyness status over here. Like you, the busier you are, when someone says, how are you? And if anyone's been to Australia, yeah. you know yeah. that the first thing people say to you after hello is, how are you? <laughs> Which is really <laughs> disconcerting because no one actually really cares like the sales assistant. But yeah. how are you? I am so busy, so busy, so busy. Yeah. And it's this commodity yeah. of I am so important based on my busyness. Yeah. And this is, and I and, think people and yet, are having this What a load of rubbish, now, actually. Really. I, I think that that is one of the things that you're seeing a little bit more discourse around is, are these concepts of well as we talk about self-care but also this idea that you know what why are we why are we trying to make ourselves so busy like who are we doing it for why and and you know surely and that this this taps into a whole mm. other question but to be you know success is not about um you know how, how busy and important and you are and how much how much money you're making but Actually, success is really having the choice and the confidence to say, actually, I don't want to do that anymore, you know, and, and I'm really happy not doing that anymore. And, and you're happy and confident to talk about that with other people. Yeah. And um, that to me is what true success looks like is, is people who are, who have made a choice to do their, to, to do their own thing, to carve their own path and have got the freedom of choice that they that they don't feel the need to be constantly busy or earning a certain amount of money or whatever they just confidently take a step back in whatever form that looks like for them and they don't care what other people think you know it's just like that's that's they've they've made it that's absolutely fantastic i mean to you've just summarized it perfectly and mm. and I think there's a piece yeah. inside that which is mm. enough like when will we have enough yeah. we've already got everything yeah. we're, we're so privileged as human beings so obviously we're putting the world to right through this uh, wonderful conversation <laughs> and I hope you know for anyone that's listening it's I'm I, I hope it makes them question I hope you're questioning listener you know what is success to you I mean for you Louisa it just sounds like your adventure your French adventure you're coming back to England the fact that you make such a beautiful effort and experience every single day around food around wine well like um, it sounds like you're pretty successful to me right now thank you I'll take that yeah take it say (laughs) thank you yeah (laughs) A, a roller coaster cliche but yeah it's you know it's, it's not all easy at the moment accepting but yeah, compliments we, yeah it's it's all good really it is all good well I can't thank you enough for your time and for your beautiful story yeah. and you know I think I've got my copy of wines of the Rhone and even though I'm not I, I barely ever drink wine actually I have loved it and I think it is <laughs> fantastic and anyone who is considering buying it really should buy it 
as a great gift for the future. Well, it's just been so, like I said, <laughs> right at the back of the beginning, it's been so lovely to just Wonderful. just talk and kind of, I don't know, articulate some of these things out loud um, for the first time, really, to be honest. So, that yeah, it's just been a lovely, a lovely experience and a privilege. Thank you, Claire. And that's it for this episode with me, Claire Hall. My guest was Louisa Walls and her husband, Matt Walls's book, Wines of the Rhone, is available for sale now at mattwalls.co.uk. Have a look at it. It's truly wonderful. And if anything in this podcast has inspired you or you feel you can relate, feel free to reach out to me. You can drop me an email on my website, authenticempowerment.com.au or you can find me on Instagram at Claire Hall Coach. It's been lovely having you here. I hope you have a wonderful day. Take care. It says recording. <laughs>